Matthew 4, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is our last sermon in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Sorry, I might put this on. Switch over to this one if that's all right, Ian. Um, It's our last sermon on the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Um, because when you get to, to the Lord's Prayer um, in the original, you get to the end, uh, yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory isn't in the, in the original, um, although it's a thoroughly biblical prayer. So um, this is the Lord's Prayer. You might not have spotted it. Um, I'd never seen this before until John Courtauld this week sent me a link to a, a sermon by Charles Spurgeon that I'd never seen before. It was so helpful. Um, the Lord's Prayer is like a ladder. And like... Everything in the Christian life, the way up is the way down. Uh, the first will be last, the last will be first. We start at, at the top, we pray our Father in heaven. And what is the identity that we are praying out of when we pray to a Father? We are praying as children. The highest honour and, and dignity that any created being could ever have to be the, the child of God. And then, then we come down a, ladder, a level of the ladder and we say, hallowed be your name. And we're praying out of an identity of a, as a worshipper. The angels get to be worshippers. They don't get to be children, but they, they're worshippers. It's an incredibly dignified and, and, and honoured status. Then we come down another rung in, the, rung in the level, and we pray, your kingdom come. And as soon as we're talking about kingdoms, we're now in the realm of talking about subjects. Uh, so King Charles uh, has, uh, has millions of subjects all over the world. But King Jesus... As we pray, your kingdom come, we, we get to pray as, as one of his people, one of his subjects. Then the next line, so these were all meant to be flipping over, and it's, it's kind of written beautifully on the back. Um, but when I tried to do it with a big stick this morning, I, I kind of nearly knocked over, uh, I knocked them all down and then nearly knocked over the ladder. So we thought we, we wouldn't try that at 10.30. Um, come, come down another level, we pray your will be done. Who prays, uh, offers to, to do someone's will? It's a servant. So King Charles has millions of subjects, but when he wakes up in the morning, compared to the number of subjects he has, the number of servants he has who are polishing his shoes and making him breakfast and driving him around the country is relatively small. There's a step down there. We're, we're coming and praying to God, your will be done. We're praying as servants. 
Oh, and then we take a really big step down. Because when we pray, give us today our daily bread, what do we pray? We're praying as beggars. We're begging. Servants kind of earn their rewards. But as, as we come down this ladder, as we, as we humble ourselves, as we realize who we are before God, we're saying we're beggars. Last week we thought, we, we pray, pray, forgive us our sins. We're praying as sinners. Not, it's not my only identity before God. I'm, I'm made in God's image. I am um, created uh, to, to be in God's image. I am uh, a sufferer as well. There are all kinds of different images, uh, identities that I have, but one of the big ones is that I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm carrying my sin with me. But when we get to today, well, this sermon kind of follows on from last week because we're praying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil, and, and kind of can be translated either as evil or, or the evil one, the devil. What am I praying as? I'm praying as a sinner in danger of becoming an even bigger sinner. So, so, so as, we, as we come down the ladder, we've reached the end of the Lord's Prayer. We're right at the bottom of the ladder, praying as a sinner um, in danger of becoming an even bigger sinner. So last week, when we thought about forgive us our sins, there's kind of two responses that we can have to that. <coughs> One is to say, well, who? I'm forgiven, so I can now live how I like. The other response uh, is, is just to be honest and say, I, I, I can't keep, this is amazing, but I can't keep this up. How on earth can I, can I keep turning away from sin? I can't go two minutes without realizing I've had a nasty thought about someone or made a snarky comment. How am I going to keep going? And so um, our prayer this morning um, is teach, thinking about how do we pray to be led, not to be led into temptation? I don't know if, if you pray like that. Do you ask God to protect you from sin? And this morning we're going to think about how we do that. And it's, it's a particularly difficult verse. I think it's the hardest verse in the Lord's Prayer to understand because the book of James tells us God cannot lead anyone into temptation. So why are we asking God not to do something he's already promised he won't do? Right? Okay, three headings this morning. Um, let's find out whether this is going to behave itself. There we go. Uh, God is a God who leads now, the thing is, there is a real difference, isn't there, between cat owners and dog owners. Have you noticed this? So we've got a cat, we've got Jed, black cat, uh, we let it, uh, we've got a cat flap. I have no idea where Jed was last night. He could have gone up Hanley and been out in the clubs and just having a whale of a time for all I know. Uh, kind of comes in in the morning, kind of, you know, uh, looking like, like you know, uh, the opposite of what a cat brought in. Like, who knows where he's been? Dogs are not like that. You... No one trusts a dog like that. You don't just kind of let them off to go and play in the street. They're not smart enough to do that. They're not self-controlled enough to do that. So you see all around Audley are all the countless dog walkers. And they're all wearing their uniform, aren't they? There's a dog walker uniform. You have, um, you have a coat on because these poor dog owners, they're out in all weathers, so they've got their coat on. And they're carrying a bag of dog poo like that's the most normal thing in the world to do. That's, that is not normal, is it? But they, they, they're, kind of, they're walking along like it's kind of completely normal. And the other thing they all have in their uniform is a lead. Because, because even if the dog's off the lead for a bit, there's going to come a point when you, know, when you buy traffic, you put the dog on the lead. And, and it's a bit like walking with kids. You kind of see parents with toddlers, and they, they've, got, they've got the reins on the toddlers, or they're holding their hand really tightly, because you can't just let it run off. What's the point? The point is that God... I can put it like this, is much more like a dog owner than a cat owner. 
He, he leads me. He can't just let me go off. And If he did, it would be an absolute disaster. God is a God who leads. And theologians talk about two ways in which God does that. One is through what they call his revealed will. In the Bible, he tells us, uh, he leads us by his word. He shows us the life he wants us to live. He also leads us by what's called his secret will or his hidden will, which is, is everything in your life, all the circumstances, none of it is an accident. So, so the family you were born into, the house you live in, the teachers you had at school, the, 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 the work, uh, your work colleagues, the, um, the, uh, the program you watched on TV two weeks ago, the phone call you got last night, the blister on your toe this morning, none of it is an accident. Who you're sitting next to this morning, none of it is an accident. All of it is ways in which God is leading us. And so we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Which is where we get the problem. Because when James says God can't lead anyone into temptation, why are we asking him to do what he's promised not to do? Um, I think you're going to like this. Does anyone know that word? Oh, Judy knows it. Dorothy knows it. Dorothy, how do you say it? Oh, I knew, I knew there'd be someone who could do it. Dorothy nails it. That's, that word is litotes, and it is a great word. You just, you're going to love this. You can drop this into conversation tomorrow, wherever you like. It's brilliant. Um, okay, so litotes is when you say something really forcefully by negating the opposite. So you take the opposite, you put not in front of it, and that's a really forceful way of saying the opposite. So if, I, um, if, I, if um, Sue walks in this morning, I say, Sue, how are you doing? And she goes, oh, not too shabby. What do you mean? She means I'm doing really well. I feel great. Um, and let's say it's a, it's a kind of jackpot week uh, at church, and Jenny Williams has brought cake. And I get over to the church hall, and, and, and I'm too slow. The boys are already kind of got, got their mouths full of cake. And, and I say to them, what, what's it like? And they go, oh, not bad. What do I mean? I mean, this is amazing. So, so you kind of take the opposite, and you put a nod in front of it. It's a forceful way of saying, saying the other way around. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of another example. Um, what did I have there? Uh, if, um, oh, yeah, if I had, like, you said to me, Simon, how was your, how was your bagpipe and poetry recital last week? Did, did many people come? And I said, well, not a lot. I mean, that, that no one turned up at all. So tomorrow morning, when you walk, walk, go into work and, or, or into school at the start of term, someone says, how was your summer? And they go, oh. They go, no, it's not, just, it's not great. And you can say, oh, man, I'm so sorry for you. But did you know you've got amazing litotes? Okay, that, that's going to be really handy tomorrow morning. What's the point? Um, if you want to have a really forceful way of saying, don't lead me into temptation, keep me away as far as possible. Um, keep, I, I want to do what's right. I want to do what's good. Keep me as far away from temptation as possible. One way to pray it is, Lord, don't lead me into temptation. So let's imagine this is a cliff edge, and it, it dives down hundreds of hundreds of feet to crashing waves onto rocks below. And this is a really unstable cliff path. If you're out for a walk with someone who is a total fool, what will they do? They're going to go, how close to the edge can I get? Can I? Ooh. I wonder if I can go, I wonder if I can get right, 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 and they're over. What does the wise person say? The wise person says, I want to be as far away from the edge as I can. And if sin is a cliff edge that that dashes down on the rocks, we want to say to the Lord, Lord, please lead me not into temptation. Keep me as far away from that cliff edge as as possible. Um, uh, The 
Um, someone put it the other day, I heard someone say that, talk about the Church of England in its current state, um, it's a bit like, a bit like a man saying, as, as we say to God in the Church of England, how far can I go away from your word? A bit like a man saying to his wife, how far is it okay for me to go with another woman? It's an awful thing to say. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God is a God who leads. Um, so that, that's the kind of first thing I think we need to understand to um, be able to get our heads around um, this, this prayer. Second thing we need to understand is that we're kind of the opposite of Marmite here. Yeah, I think we've done this before, haven't we? But um, it's just such a clever advertising campaign. Who loves Marmite? What is wrong with you? Okay, who hates Marmite? Who is there just out to annoy the advertisers who doesn't mind it? Okay, Kay doesn't mind it. Dor- Dorothy again. It's always Dorothy. Um, okay, we are the opposite of Marmites as Christians. Because what, what are we? We are, we are those who, when it comes to sin, it's not love it or hate it. We are those who love it and hate it. Isn't that true? That part of who we are as, as believers is we are people who hate sin. We know how dangerous it is. We know, we've seen the damage that it does to people. And at the same time, we are, we are deeply drawn to it. It's a bit like an addict who, who kind of, you ask them, do you love the, the thing you're addicted to or do you hate it? And they go, I hate it, I hate it. I see what the damage it does. And yet there's part of me that wants it so badly. And so when, when it comes to sin, what is sin? Sin is, we know this if we're Christians, sin is the dogmuck of the universe. Uh, the sin is what drove, drove, drove Hitler and Stalin and Lucy Letby. Star, sin is what sets families on, on fire with fighting and anger and bitterness. And, and yet at the same time, part of our kind of guilty secret is that sin feels really good as well, doesn't it? I don't know if you're the kind of person who yells a lot and shouts. Maybe you haven't done that since you were a kid. Maybe you've done it three times this morning already. But, but, but there's something about losing our temper when we're in the moment, in the middle of it. It feels so right and so good, doesn't it? or self-pity, or lust, or whatever it is we're struggling with. Sin often feels really good. I mean, said, you know, it's not normal for people to walk around the street holding bags of people. What would be really weird would be if they, you kind of saw a dog walker out for a walk, and they go, oh, so good. Sorry, this is, this is moose. This is chocolate moose. Just, I just wanted to pick a really, really horrible visual aid that I was hoping you would never forget. But like, that would be weird, wouldn't it? You see the dog walkers kind of just... just Sorry, that's horrible. I'm going to stop doing that. Um, what are we as, as Christians? We are these weird, conflicted people who love sin and hate sin at the same time. So I'm trying to now I'm trying to find a tissue in my pocket to wipe that with. Um, uh, the um, that is uh, where are we going? Um, there is uh, uh, there is um, a story that, that Charles Spurgeon told of uh, of a miner who became a Christian. And this man, he'd spent his life down the pits. He was a hard man. And he was a really nasty piece of work. And he, he spent his life fighting, gambling. He treated women appallingly. Um, he drank. He was uh, uh, drunk every night. He was just a terrible man. And he heard the gospel. And he realized he was a sinner. And he needed Jesus. And he put his trust in Jesus then and there. It was, it was an amazing moment. And he, but then he thought about it. And he realized he could never keep going following Jesus. It's just a pull of of this, this, this lifestyle that he'd been in for so long. How on earth was he going to stay away from it? He knew he was going to get sucked back into it, and he prayed, Lord, if I'm going to get sucked back into it, Lord, I'd rather die here and now than get sucked back into that. And you can see where the story's going. The Lord answered his prayer. 
He died then and there. And if you're a Christian, I think you might be able to understand Spurgeon's comment when he said, perhaps it was the best answer to the best prayer he could have prayed. The sin, we just want to stay away from sin once we've had anything to do with it. Once we've been burnt by sin once, the more we understand of just how damaging it is. This is not some innocent fun. This is not trying to petty rules trying to stop people enjoying themselves. This is horrible. We want to stay as far away from it as possible. And we won't kind of try to put ourselves in temptation's way. You sometimes um, come across people, don't you? You hear preachers saying things like, oh, maybe we need more persecution in our generation. We should pray that, that we get more persecution in this country. I think that's a crazy thing to pray. If the Lord sends temptation our way, if he sends struggles our way, well, then, then, then we want to pray that we'll stand up under them. But we don't go looking for them. As, as if you met a soldier who was saying, oh, I can take anything that the enemy can throw at me. I, I'm not afraid of battle. There's no, you know, I'm going looking for trouble. Well, then you would be very, very wary about that man. The real soldiers I know, the guys who've been in, in really terrible conflicts, who, can, who are steady under anything, are the ones who will do anything to go looking for peace. When the trouble comes looking for them, they'll stand. We don't go looking for, for temptation. We don't go looking for trouble. And if we forget this strange dynamic that we have in our hearts that we both love sin and we hate it, then we get into trouble. So if we forget as Christians that we hate sin, we just slide into it and we get more and more comfortable with it. But the other danger is there as well, isn't it? That I forget that there is part of me that loves it. Well, at the very least, I'm going to become incredibly self-righteous. We, we want to just be honest and, and aware of the danger we're in. So when we see, I don't know, if you see someone walking down the street shouting and screaming and swearing, and our first thought, if the Lord's prayer is in our bloodstream, ought to be, Lord, please don't lead me into temptation. Please don't lead me into temptation there, but for your grace is exactly where I will go. And there's, a, there's that lovely prayer in Proverbs chapter 30. I, I was going to ask Kay to read it this morning, then we went to um, Luke 4, where, where Agar praise, Lord, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me my daily bread. And he just sees the temptations in front of him. If he, if he becomes poor, he, he might steal and so dishonor the name of the Lord is, is God. Or if he becomes rich, he, he might say, who is the Lord? And just forget about him. You want to pray, Lord, don't let me get carried away by sorrow or carried away by joy to the extent where I just I turn away from you. There, there are certain sins that I think if I was, if those temptations were in front of me and I thought I could get away with it, I'm not sure I would be able to say no. So I pray that I will never, ever be put in that position. But as, at this kind of moment of sanity, I want to pray that now in the confidence that if, if that, that prayer will be answered either by God not letting me, leading me into temptation or if I am in that situation, that I'll be given the, the strength to walk away from it. Um, so what is this? It's, it's not a prayer for an easy life. It's not a prayer for an easy life. It is a, a prayer that just recognizes how weak we are. It's realistic about how weak we are. Um, one just kind of throwaway application about that. I, just, I've heard a few folk over the last few weeks kind of talking about, about the interregnum coming up in, in quite a gung-ho way. Uh, we've done this before. We've got good people in the church. That's true. You can ask Brian and Jack how hard that, that it was last time. But, but, but there, there's, we, we never want to be thinking we can do this. As a church, we never want to say we've got this. We want to know how weak we are. The Lord has got this. Whatever the outcomes are, he's got it. We want to be looking to him because we're aware of how weak we are. How do we obey Jesus as the captain of our soul? We know he's the one who loves us. 
We know that he's the one who wants best for us. And yet I am in myself so weak that I don't have the strength in myself to be able to say no to temptation. This addiction to sin that I know is killing me. How do we, how do we fight that? Well, um, Kay read that, that reading for us at the start of, of when Jesus, when we're in Matthew chapter 6 here, Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is, well, what happens to him? He is led by the Spirit. He is led into temptation by the evil one. He has gone through exactly what we are praying that we will not go through. Uh, he goes through these three brutal rounds of temptation. And one of the ways in which you kind of often hear preachers preach this is, well, look, you should therefore... Learn some memory verses, because when you're tempted, memory verses are very helpful. True, but I'm, I'm not sure that's the point. And, you, know, you, you should quote scripture back, and we should pray, and we should fast, and that kind of thing. Is that the point? I don't think it is. Let, let's think of it like this. Let's imagine we decide to have a, um, a church evangelistic boxing match. And we, um, we take out some of the pews here, and we, we build a ring. We get a faculty to put a, a, a ring in. And um, I decide I'm going to enter it. Um, I don't know. I kind of. I think I probably back Stephen Pratt's chances, but but you know, I decide I'm going I'm to give this a go, and I, I you know I do some skipping because that's what boxers do, and I, I go for a couple of runs with all these striders, and I watch all the Rocky movies back to back, and the day comes, and I'm completely pumped and and psyched, and I'm I'm there, I'm ready for it. I see who's brave enough to take me on, and just as the evening starts, the kind of light gets blocked out from that that end of the church, and and through the door um, walks uh, um, uh, this guy. Um, now, this isn't a rhetorical question. This isn't me trying to be interactive. Does anyone know that guy's name? He's, he's the guy who's the other world boxing champ, heavyweight champion apart from Tyson Fury. He's, Alex, he's the beast from the east. He's Alexander, I think it's something like Usyk, Ukrainian guy. Um, uh, so let's, let's say he walks in. And at that moment, I know I am going to be flattened. I have no chance. And that is, that is me against temptation. You know, there, there are some temptations you know, I, can, I can resist. I can resist the temptation to gorge myself on Brussels sprouts. There are some temptations, I, I, they're just so strong. And they're too strong for me. So what, what is my only hope as, as this massive temptation comes in to uh, stand up to me? Is, it is that the Lord Jesus comes and he puts on the gloves for me. And he is the one who goes and stands up uh, to the temptation, to the, the evil one behind it, the devil behind it, and he takes it on for me. And, and where does he do that? Well, he does that in the wilderness. Three times he, he withstands the devil's temptations, the, the temptations that were too strong for Adam, that would be too strong for me. See, see what has Jesus done here? He is the one who has come down the ladder. The beloved child is the one who is now facing temptation. And he does it for me and for you if you are trusting in him. And, and, and as he goes to the cross, he's standing in the garden of Gethsemane, he's tempted to walk away and the devil reappears and he prays, not my will but yours be done. He goes to the cross. He defeats the devil at the cross. And you know what? He defeats the devil every time we pray this prayer that would lead us not into temptation from the heart and then he delights to answer it. Because he has died at the cross to defeat the devil for the times when you, have given, you and I have given in to temptation and we've messed up in the past. And he's died so that, so that as we face temptation this week, we've got his spirit inside us to say no. 
I, I don't need to, when I'm facing temptation, I, what I need to remember that I haven't got the power within me to do this, but Jesus does. Let's try and earth this. Let's try to be really concrete. Is there a temptation that you know you're going to face this week? Maybe it's to watch something on TV that you know you shouldn't watch. Maybe it's to, to gossip or to get bitter or to talk with someone in church, uh, to uh, talk um, angrily at someone in church who's going to make a different decision about the long-term future of St. James to you. I don't know what it is. What's the temptation? Well, let's, let's pray. Lord, lead me not into temptation because the battle, the wonderful news to remember is that the battle is, is Jesus. He's the one who is awesome. We need to remember, God is a, a God who leads. I, I, that's why I need to pray, lead me not into temptation. God is, is a God who leads. Uh, I love sin and I hate it. That's why I need to pray, lead me not into temptation. And Jesus is awesome. He's the one who has defeated the evil one. Uh, and so, um, uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from him. He's done it. It's a battle he's already won. Amen.